Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A quick note before we get into the conversation. This episode with U.S. Soccer Federation President Cindy Parlo-Cohn was recorded prior to the release of the results of the Sally Yates investigation, which was commissioned by the U.S. Soccer Federation into abuse and misconduct in the NWSL. The report found, quote, a league in which abuse and misconduct, verbal and emotional abuse, and sexual misconduct had become systemic, spanning multiple teams, coaches, and victims, end quote. U.S. Soccer released a letter from Cohn in which she thanked the players that came forward for their bravery and shared the Federation's plans to address the report's recommendations. She said, as a former player, as a coach, as the president of soccer's national governing body, I'm heartbroken by the contents of the report, which make clear that systemic changes are needed at every level of our game. The abuse described in the report is entirely inexcusable and has no place in soccer, on or off the field. Along with everyone at U.S. Soccer, I'm squarely focused on the changes we will make to address the report's findings and make soccer safe for everyone. It will take all of U.S. Soccer's membership working together to create the kind of change needed to ensure our athletes are safe. The gravity of these issues requires us to not simply turn the page. We can and must use this moment as a forcing function for forward progress, end quote. Personally, I'm a huge soccer fan. I'm a Gotham season ticket holder. I love the NWSL. I love the national team. I just bought my tickets to go see them in Harrison um, playing Germany. I know for me personally, this report goes beyond heartbreaking. It's almost incomprehensible. My colleague Jason Nadi and I have been reaching out to every major sponsor of the NWSL and the sponsors of individual teams. By the time you listen to this, that story, which we've been working pretty much round the clock on since the report came out, should be live on adweek.com. If anyone listening has any feedback, questions, or even just wants to talk about what's going on in the NWSL and soccer at large, because this is some pretty heavy stuff, my DMs are open on Twitter. You can reach me on email. Please feel free to reach out. With that, let's get into this week's episode. Hi everyone, I'm Molly Cahillane, Adweek's senior TV reporter, and welcome to this week's episode of Season 2 of Most Powerful Women in Sports, where the world's greatest marketers, media pros, athletes, and coaches share their remarkable career journeys and how they achieved peak performance. I'm part of Adweek's TV team, covering streaming services, connected TV, and pretty much any news related to the business of TV. But fortunately for me, that includes sports. I am so excited to be here today with U.S. Soccer Federation President Cindy Parlocone. Cindy is the first female president of U.S. soccer, a two-time Olympic gold medalist, and a 1999 FIFA Women's World Cup champion. 
She was elevated to president from vice president of U.S. soccer in March of 2020, and in March of this year, it was re-elected to a full four-year term. In this episode, we'll talk about Cindy's path to becoming the president of U.S. Soccer Federation, the upcoming World Cups, equal pay, and the future of the game. Thank you for listening, and make sure to subscribe to hear more conversations with the women changing the game. And you can follow me on Twitter at Molly Kathleen. Cindy, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Of course. I'm so excited for this. So there's obviously a ton going on in the world of U.S. soccer. We've got equal pay, the new collective bargaining agreements, the upcoming World Cups. But I want to start by taking it back a little bit. Can you walk me through how you got to where you are? You played in college at UNC. You played for the national team. You were a coach. What's that path been like? Um, it's been crazy. You know, I've always been a person that I always have like a five year plan. Um, and being VP of U S soccer was never in that five year plan and neither was becoming president of U S soccer. So that just goes to show you how life can take some twists and turns that you're unexpected, that you're not expecting. And, um, all of a sudden being thrust into leadership role. Yeah, so I know you started out by playing at UNC, uh, and you actually left high school early, right? So what was that journey like going from player to coach? Yeah, so, I mean, for me, I left UNC a year early, as you said. So I entered UNC as a 17-year-old freshman um, in 1995. And I did that um, mostly because I wanted to have a chance to make the 1996 Olympic team. It was the first team time soccer was going to be in the Olympics. Um, and I've always been just a really driven person and very intrinsically motivated. And so, um, for some reason I thought I could make that team. I have no idea why, because I had never made a team for the national team. (laughs) I had been on the youth teams, but I had never been on the full team. And so, um, I took this leap of faith, went to UNC early, um, and obviously um, had a fantastic career, and that launched me into the national team, and I made residency, um, and then the 96 Olympic team, and the rest is history on my playing career. And then when I finished playing uh, professionally and internationally, I went back to UNC to finish my degree. Um, and then immediately started coaching in the youth game and the college game. And then eventually the pro game, um, coaching the Portland Thorns in 2013. Um, And all this time, like I I had done some work uh, with the Athletes Council at U.S. Soccer. um, And I had never, like I said, I never had it in my five-year plan to be VP or president. But the VP election was coming up and I wanted an athlete to take that position. And so I was working to try to find an athlete to do it. I had two on the hook for a while, um, but then they both ended up turning me down. Um, and so I stepped in to do it. Um, and obviously never thinking I would become president. No president had ever stepped down in our entire history. So like that wasn't in the plans. Um, <laughs> and obviously, uh, my predecessor resigned. Um, and then, so the day our world was shutting down due to the pandemic, as well as, um, the outrage on the legal brief that U.S. soccer filed, um, is the day I became president of U.S. soccer. So nothing like being thrown into the deep end. So you joined at a really casual, low moment time, like nothing going on. Yeah, yeah, there was not much going on. Um, And sir, we didn't have a CEO. So there was a lot um, going on at the time. 
Yeah, so I want to talk a little bit about um, how you stepped up when Carlos Cordero resigned. Um, for those listening who might not be as familiar, he resigned in the middle of the U.S. Women National Team's equal pay lawsuit after U.S. Soccer Federation and its lawyers said in a filing that the U.S. Women's National Team players, quote, do not perform equal work requiring equal skill and effort because the overall soccer playing ability required to compete at the senior men's national team level is materially influenced by the level of certain physical attributes such as speed and strength. End quote. So a lot going on there. But what was that experience like taking over the Federation during such a tumultuous time? I mean, put aside like how personally I w- offended I was having been a U.S. Women's National Team player um, and personally offended by that and just the turmoil that we were under um, and with the pandemic on top of it all. Um, not deservedly so. Um, our players are outraged, deservedly so. Um, our fans, I mean, any, and I was outraged at us. <laughs> um, so it, it was just a really tumultuous time um, and thrown into the, the leadership role. And, you know, I, I really credit my time as a player um, because I think that if I hadn't learned all that I had learned during my time on the national team, uh, being under the leaders that I had been under, and, and I literally grew up on the team, so I was there since I was 17 years old. So um, I learned from the best. I mean, Carla Overbeck, Julie Foudy, Nia Hamm. I mean, what? there's not greater leaders to learn from um, and to have spent my formative years on the national team learning from these greats. Um, and then obviously taking everything that I had learned through my coaching career, um, because leadership really is team building, right? So it's just a different form of team building, um, when you move over to the business side and executive side. Great. And then, so you were elected again in 2022 as there, as a full four year term, but Carlos ran against you after resigning. So can you speak a little bit about what that election process was like and how you kept focus? I know you've previously spoken about restoring a culture of trust and respect between the players on the national team and administrators. And then there's the ongoing investigation that Sally Yates is leading. How did you how did you handle all of this? You know, I mean, I don't think anything about my presidency has been easy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I guess the easiest thing I do is go to the games and cheer our, our teams on. Um, but that's nerve wracking because I can't influence the outcome in any way, shape or form. So it's nerve wracking in a completely different way. Um, but for me, you know, I'm driven by doing what is right and doing what I think is best for this game, um, in our country and beyond. And, you know, I'm not so fixated on the title or the position or keeping the title or the position, that I really just want to create positive change. Um, and the people that know me like see that, they, they know I'm not power seeking. I'm just as comfortable sitting in the back of the room by myself reading a book while things are going on. Um, I'm very much an introvert, so I don't need to be front and center. I'm not attention seeking. Um, but for me, there was a lot of stuff I still wanted to do. Um, that I hadn't been able to do, things that I had started but hadn't quite finished yet. Um, And some of the things will never be finished. Um, But we hadn't settled the litigation yet. We we were just engaging on the CBAs, and I really wanted to get um, the same 
um, CBA. I wanted to have one contract. There was a small failure there. We didn't get quite to one contract, but we did get to equal pay, which I'm really excited about where we landed. Um, And I've really started a lot of work on the DEIB side at U.S. Soccer. Um, And this is the one I I don't think there's ever a finish line for this, but we're making great strides and we still have a long ways to go. And I I wanted to continue to see that through. Um, And then we had a major business change in deciding to bring our commercial rights back in house. Um, And I really wanted to be be a part of that process because it gives us the opportunity um, to align our interests with the players uh, for the like we have never seen before. Because I know when I was a player, it felt like it was always the federation against the players. And I wanted to change that dynamic. I wanted to, I had already started rebuilding the trust. Um, and I think the players know um, that I have a very high level of integrity. I'm never going to tell them something that isn't true or that I can't do. Um, but I think aligning our business interests also helps, right? So with the revenue share part of the CBAs, I feel like is often not talked about, but I think is really important because it aligns our interests. You know, um, we're in the same boat rowing together and if the Federation is doing well, it benefits the players and vice versa. And that's the way we want it to be. And, um, and overall this benefits soccer in our entire ecosystem in this country. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I think that's a really important point, and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, And just even in that answer, I have a lot I want to follow up on. (laughs) So we mentioned the equal pay lawsuit earlier, the negotiation of the new CBA, um, and that achieved equal pay between the men and women's team through 2028. So and you touched on this a little bit, but that was officially signed in early September. And what implications do you kind of see this CBA having on the future of the sport for both the men and the women? You know, I think the ramifications of this deal – And the ripple effects throughout um, sports, not even just soccer, but in other industries, I don't think we'll really know the true effect of what um, we have accomplished for a while. But I think immediately, I think it it helps just change the narrative and change the dynamic um, of the three different parties, right? You know, CBA negotiations are hard. There's nothing easy about them. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like a roller coaster ride. Um, You think you're getting close to something and then it feels like it's falling apart. Then you feel like you're getting close again. And so um, 
But, you know, I have to give a lot of credit to our men's national team and their PA, the women's national team and their PA and everyone at U.S. Soccer um, for, for getting this done. And, you know, the men's national team and the women's national team and their, their PAs got together to, to help us figure out how we were going to resolve the World Cup prize money and how we were going to equalize that. Um, which was really important step in the process. And then bringing everyone to the same table to negotiate together um, to increase transparency and try to move towards one contract, as I mentioned earlier, that, that I, I wanted to get to. We didn't quite get there, but we got close. Um, but I, I think where we landed was really um, a good spot. And I give a lot of credit to everyone involved. You know, There were so many people engaged. Um, I counted the number of people just on the U.S. soccer side, and there was over 60 people that in some way, shape, or form helped get this deal done. Wow. And then you touched on this a little bit earlier, too, but looking ahead to the next few years, what are your priorities as president? How are you focusing on growing the game in all aspects, whether that's participation, fandom, new investments, brand partnership, DEI? What are you thinking it's all of the above, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, we have this tentpole event coming up, um, that we're hosting alongside Canada and Mexico and world cup 26. So I, I, I'm viewing it as kind of the road to 26, like, and then when we get to 2028, what do we want to look back on and have accomplished? Um, and for me, there's, there's a lot of things. I think you mentioned growing fandom. I mean, that's huge. Um, and, and growing our fandom and engagement with our game. Um, for me, I want to have a specific, um, looking at specific impacts on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in our game at every level and in every facet. Um, so that does include participation, but it includes every part of our game. I think we need to do a better job on the DEIB front. Uh, if we're going to truly be as great as we all believe that we can be, um, we need to make sure that everyone feels welcomed in our game, whether they're a coach, a player, a referee, an administrator, or the future president of U.S. soccer. Um, we need to make sure that they they feel like they can they should be a part of our game. I want to win everything. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, I don't have much impact on that, but I want to win everything on the field. And that's not just our senior national teams. Uh, we have 27 national teams. So um, to continue to win everything. Um, and then on the business side, really continue to grow the business so that we can invest more back into the game at every level. Um, that's the great thing about being a nonprofit, bringing, as we bring more revenue in, it's not going into certain people's pockets, right? It's all being invested back into the game. And so just really having a focus on growing our business so that we can do more in the game. And then I'm glad you brought up national teams and World Cups because, yes, we're on the road to 26, but we got to get through 2022 first. And so, 23. And 20, oh, believe me, I'm very focused on 23. But the men's tournament is this fall is in Qatar. It's the first time it hasn't been played in the summer. So how are you approaching this tournament? And what do you think the implications are for U.S. soccer overall? It's the first time the men's team has been in the World Cup in a little bit. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously the men missed the, the last World Cup, but... 
I'm really excited about our team. It's a very young, dynamic team. They're super fun to watch and just great personalities and great people on the team. And so I'm really looking forward to watching them. I think the timing of the World Cup is not ideal for a lot of reasons. Personally, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. Uh, <laughs> Um, so, so that's a bit challenging for me, but I think we have something really special planned that would be cool, uh, to do over there, but I, but I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I, I don't necessarily agree with how things came to be, um, that the world cup is in Qatar, but that we, we can't change that now, but I, it is the biggest event in the world. And so I'm looking forward to seeing how our guys perform and to cheer them on. And then on the women's side, they're gearing up for Australia and New Zealand in 2023. And they're clear, they're obviously playing some preparation matches and their upcoming match against England sold out Wembley in less than a day. How are you and the overall federation taking advantage of this momentum? Yeah, you know, I think we're starting to see this around the world, right? This It used to be only the U.S. women's national team could get these kinds of numbers, but now we're seeing it more and more, which I think is speaking volumes about the growth of the sport, not only at the international level, but at the professional level as well. So I I, I think this is is great. And I've said it many times before, like the men's game is going to continue to grow, but the women's game is poised for exponential growth. Um, so any sponsors, investors listening to this, the time to invest is now, right? You need to invest in the women's side of the game. It is, it is going to grow exponentially. It has so much room to grow. Um, and so for me, like that's what we're focused on is not only how can we grow and, and, and maximize this moment, but how can the whole ecosystem and the girls and women's side of the game grow as well? You segued perfectly into my next question. So speaking of the domestic level and branding and partnership and sponsors, two teams that are doing this incredibly well are new to the league. Like you see Angel City FC and San Diego Wave FC, they're doing amazing. I mean, they just shattered the attendance record with 32,000 fans at Snapdragon. That's a domestic national game. That's incredible. And you coached the Portland Thorns in 2013 to their inaugural championship title. How have you seen the league grow in the nearly 10 years since? And what implications does that have for the U.S. soccer ecosystem in general? No, I think the professional leagues are so important um, to to the growth of the game. And, our, and I mean, you see... Like you go back to the 94 Men's World Cup, you know, and there was no MLS, right? And now out of the 94 World Cup grew the the MLS and you see what the MLS has done over their long history. And then WSL has had much less time to grow and you can see what they're already doing and you can see the potential um, for more growth, more investment, more sponsorship, and just just the work that you've seen from, from the NWSL teams um, from 2013 to now, it's a whole different product, different product on the field and off the field. And so I think there's continued growth areas there. And I, as I was talking about earlier, so if sponsorships, listening, media, investors, like now is the time. Um, the NWSL is on a great trajectory. Um, and we all need to jump on board. And then you brought this up a little earlier, but something I cover a lot at at my role in Adweek is media rights um, and broadcast rights. So U.S. soccer has a new big deal. You guys brought the rights back in-house. What does that mean for the game? And how did that all come about? What were those negotiations like? 
Yeah, I think it means a lot for U.S. soccer to have our own media rights and and to be able to tie in content that we're creating, our sponsors and our medias, for us all to have those direct relationships. And that is not a knock to some at all. I think some helped us get to where we are today. Uh, I don't think we would be where we are today without some's help. But what they also helped us do is to to be able to grow enough, to evolve enough to be in the position we are now, to bring our rights back in-house. And I, and I really think this is a game changer for U.S. soccer. And it allows us to, I mean, I, I just can't speak enough about how important it is to have those direct relationships with um, your sponsors, your media, the broadcasters. It is great. And so it's transitioned, like we've seen a, a transition and this is something that was really important to me as we're moving forward. I'm not looking for sponsorships. I'm looking for partnerships, right? I'm looking for organizations, companies, Um, people that align with our vision and our values uh, at U.S. Soccer. So, and if there's not alignment, it's not going to be a great sponsorship or partnership. And so really drilling down, I mean, as you can imagine with World Cup 26 around the corner, we have a lot of companies coming at us and we are being very thoughtful um, and and taking our time and really making sure that anybody that we align with is aligning with our visions and our values. That's really a great point, and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Unfortunately, we are almost out of time, but I do have one more question for you. So you said that being vice president of U.S. soccer and then president of U.S. soccer was never in your five-year career plan, but here you are. So what advice do you have for women who are looking to break into sports? I would say, oh man, that's hard. Um, I would say yes to opportunities. You know, for me, like I was never looking to get into this aspect of the game, um, but everything that I have done in the game prepared me for this moment, which which is pretty incredible to, to look back and think about all the things that this game has given me and prepared me for this, even though it has probably been the hardest thing I've ever done, but to prepare me to do this. And I, I would just say, be open-minded, be ready to rip up that five-year plan when it gets destroyed. <laughs> and, and, and then what I would say is when you are in that leadership position, you know, help the next person, Right. Don't make it as hard as it was for you um, for the next person to reach the level that you're at. I think that is phenomenal advice and advice that I'm going to personally take. So, Cindy, thank you so much for being here today. This has been such a fantastic conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Adweek's Most Powerful Women in Sports, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Amanda Sickler, executive produced by Al Manarino and John Heal, and edited by Lane McGibney at Batwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com.